Everybody get ready to cry. Here we go. Oh, God, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Welcome back, Dodecadorks. We're the 12-sided guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Roos. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as the giant crystal tech abomination that's about to ruin everybody's day. But more on that in a few minutes. If you're new here, you picked a weird place to start, but welcome anyway. <laughs> now go back to episode one and start there, or you will be thoroughly confused about what's happening. Side note, I actually have some friends with no role-playing background whatsoever, at least not the kind outside the bedroom, hey <laughs> that tried to jump into the podcast after episode 40, and they politely told me that they were incredibly confused. So don't be like my idiot friends. Start at episode one and don't miss a minute of the story. Also, you can get even more content by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash 12sidedguys. You also might just get a gift from us to you. And if you heard about us from a friend, thank them for changing your life for the better, and then go tell your other friends about us. Anyway, if you ever tried to emulate your favorite Hyrule hero by attempting to catch a boomerang as it flew back to you and thoroughly destroyed your thumb in the process, (laughs) then you are me. And this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex episode 82. I remember that. Oh my gosh, it hurts so bad. Oh, black and blue. My mom took me to Australia when I was like 10 for some unknown reason. She just wanted to go and she took me. Um, and like she bought me like this cool boomerang and I would like play with it in the yard and I like lost it after like two weeks. Like it threw in like threw it into a blackberry bush. And she was so pissed because oh it was like $70 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like legit, aren't actual boomerangs meant to like hunt and kill animals with? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and like the idea of them hitting something and then flying back to you so you can gather it like on Legend of Zelda (laughs) is so ridiculous. But we got to the point where it would kind of come back to you, right? And it was coming back to me and I reached up to catch it. And oh, my gosh, my thumb was black and blue and swollen for like two weeks. It was hurt so bad. Hey, Paul, for the next intro, you need to figure out a way to work in that time you fell out of a moving car. <laughs> I did that too. Oh my god. All right, as Nari and the boys and Sydney make their way through the Imperial facility, Pine approaches Sydney and says, So, Sydney, do you want to hear some limericks? <laughs> Here's a couple I wrote this morning. On our airship, we travel the sky over forests and mountaintops high to wake Ebby's kind information to find in a lab buried by a rock slide. A new bronze dagger Roos is sporting. Sorry, excuse me. Sporting is a, a word the kids use nowadays. <laughs> it means wearing in a fashionable manner, I believe. Sorry, let me start again. A new bronze dagger Roos is sporting. Got a message from Jem, Colbury, and Horton. Eudoxia and the gallery... Beware the unknown entity. It rules Almar, so it must be important. Oh, this next one's about you, Sydney. Listen. We met Sydney, who's joining us on our perilous expedition. I'm not sure that I trust her, but her skills pass the muster. Or is it the mustard? Dijon? <laughs> so here's where I get a little... Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so here's where I get a little 
in the weeds about mustard. With kielbasa, I like spicy brown. For a bratwurst, give me that stone ground. Plain yellow, not fondo, unless on a cubano. Meat and mustard's a combo that's sound. Do you, do you like how I rhymed fondo with cubano? Yeah. That's a real winner. <laughs> anyway, after I ate some lunch, I could refocus. Nari's been missing her girly, and Ebby's behaving quite squirrely. Anxious to save his people enslaved is a burden that's making him surly. Scavengers and their creations try to keep us from our destination, but they will not impede us. The Ormex, they need us, will carve through these abominations. So what did you think? Pretty good, huh? I was thinking of asking Kira about the position of Poet Laureate. <laughs> 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 oh I was thinking of asking Kira. <laughs> I was thinking of asking Kira about the position of Poet Laureate when we return to War? You think we should be quieter because who knows what might be waiting up ahead? Yeah, you're probably right. Don't worry. You're safe with me. I have the senses of a fox. Whoa! You find the character. <laughs> you find the characterization that all foxes, and by extension, fox-eared people, have finely honed senses to be offensive and a bit racist? Dang, man. I guess I see that now. I'm truly sorry for. Whoa! You're gonna be over there, away from me now? <laughs> hmm. Sorry. Hey, Roos! Have you heard my limericks before? Yeah, I was watching that exchange <laughs> with Sydney. <laughs> Well, well, listen to this. Then maybe you'd be willing to have a conversation with your sister on my behalf. <laughs> oh my God. Well, welcome back to the Imperial facility that has been buried by a landslide 40 miles west of the city of Calta in the uh, city-states of Rocolia on the world of Pavantis. Just so everybody knows, when Paul writes, like, addresses um, a letter in the return address, he always puts his state, country, and planet Earth. I do. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't. Just in case. Well, welcome back. We are um, deep in the bowels of the Imperial facility um, that um, actually was the birthplace of Ebby about 10 years ago. Last time we left off, our characters were exploring this place. They found um, the room where Ebby actually was, where he where he was awakened. Um, we uh, went through a hole in the floor, avoiding a, a whole combat, which is fine by me, um, and um, explored another floor, including Dr. Sidney's office that had been locked since she left Five years before and now we have gone down to the basically the ground floor of this imperial facility that has been built over an ancient site that actually is where the ormec uh bodies were discovered and after exploring just a little bit in here they found not only a room full of slabs where um, Sydney had informed you the deacons were stored uh, there before they were taken upstairs to be repaired or cleaned up before they were brought to quote unquote life. But also in the hallway, they found the body of one of these scavengers smashed and cut and very much dead. As Nari and the boys and their ally Sydney 
explored this floor a little bit more. They came to these double doors and threw them open. Sydney said that beyond those doors is the lift that takes you down deep into the earth to the ancient facility. And when they threw the doors open, they found a room with dead bodies all around and this giant bastardized bishop, this 10 foot tall Ormec that had been modified, armored plates put on in different places, the mana cannon totally missing, but other pieces and parts of Deacon's um, Ormex having been attached and a large crystal sticking out of the back. It looks like this is some sort of scavenger Frankenstein's monster. A Franken-Ormex. Exactly. And apparently it killed all of the scavengers in here and we were about to start a fight. So let's go ahead and roll initiative. Nari rolled an 11. Oh yeah, I'll take that. Pine rolled a 22. Roos got a 16. And Ebby got a 10. All right. And Sydney got a 12. And um, we're going to call this beast, because I'll probably call it something. We're going to call this the failed experiment. Ooh. It rolled a 15. So here is where we are. In the middle of this room, you have this giant bishop with all these extra plates and claws and and uh, the crystal sticking out of its back um, to the south you have these two lifts that go down deep into the earth there's a couple of wagons in here too that were used to transport um, the deacons back and forth and our heroes nari and the boys are up in the north east corner which is where the door is that opens up into this room the room is about uh, 40 feet by looks like 40 feet so not a super huge room Pine starts initiative. Seeing this failed experiment, Pine will go ahead and enter the room, passing Nari, and he's going to move right up next to it. Um, and he's going to say, The storm blossoms and is restless. Rending sky. And he's going to cast the rending sky technique as a bonus action. And that will come into play if I can hit it with my weapon. So, first strike is a 25 to hit. Uh, that will hit. Okay, so initially that uh, really terrible damage. Eight piercing uh, and one cold damage. And on top of that, there is going to be an additional 2d6 thunder damage. So another six damage. It needs to make a strength saving throw of 16 or be pushed 10 feet away from me and knocked prone. So it rolled a natural 18, which means it rolled a 23. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's fine then. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll take my <laughs> second attack. All right. That's a 21 to hit. That'll hit. That's 13 piercing and four cold. Okay. That will be my turn this round. All right. Roos, it's your turn. Roos is going to run up to the creature and go opposite Mr. Pine. So he's going to be north in the north side of the room opposite um, Mr. Pine, who's on like the uh, west side of the of the Ormec. And I'm going to attack it from there. Okay. Strike out with the brass dagger. This is probably a miss, but I got a 16. That will miss. You think it would have hit, except for all the extra plating that these scavengers have put on him. Okay. And then um, I'm going to bonus action. I'm going to call out to Squire and say... I need the Bayard shield and um, the 
uh, insignia of House Bayard is going to kind of hover in front of me and offer a little bit of extra protection. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Ooh. While, while Roos is wielding that new dagger, Pine will look across at it and say, Huh, I guess it's brass, not bronze. I'll have to change my poem. <laughs> it is now this thing's turn. Um, as it looks at you, you hear it like click, click, like it has like a, a voice box of some kind. And it hear, you hear like the static, like, like it's trying to say something, but it cannot speak. And then you see the crystal on its back begin to glow. And I'm going to roll a D4. Oh, that is the worst thing that could have happened for you guys because I rolled a four. I am shocked. Yeah. (laughs) How could this have happened? Get used to it, guys. Get used to it. The crystal starts to pulse. And as it pulses... Um, you see around the room, just like there's like these little scatterings of like tech and things. You see the crystal um, like dust and things that are that are scattered from these smashed and, and old and obsolete um, tech. You see it start to rise up and then it starts to form and it forms into these small floating clusters of crystal and four of them pop up around the room. So one pops up pretty close to Roos. Another one pops up a little bit to the side of the um, failed experiment. Another one uh, pops up over kind of close to Pine. And then one pops up at the far south edge of the room. That is the bonus action. As an action, let's see. We are going to do a measurement. Um, Okay, so. Get out of here, bud. (laughs) <laughs> um, oh, um, Evie, you are barely in range. No. So you remember when the bishops, when they would fire their mana cannons, they would like pound their fists into the ground, kind of like to stabilize themselves. This guy does the same thing. Boom, boom. You can see that his fists have like extra claws and like and like hooks and things in them. And it actually like digs into the tile. And then his head, because he's kind of hunched over, his head kind of looks up straight in Nari and Evie's direction, who are still in the hall. Ebby right on the edge, and he just bellows out this blast of energy. It's not a mannequin, it is something different. And I need Nari and Ebby both to make constitution saves. Oh man. And it is a high difficulty. Ebby oh, huh. uh, rolled a 12. Nari rolled a 25. Nari, as this wave washes over you, you breathe it in and it's it's not like a physical force. It's not like blasting you, like burning you or, or hitting you. It's like it, it almost gets into your brain and into your synapses and you can feel it starting to shut you down a little bit, but you shake it off. And with your constitution, you manage to kind of like, I don't know, like I imagine you like stick one finger on one nostril and you do like a snot rocket and spit it out and you're fine. Just like I do with my depression. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, Ebby, not so much. Ebby, you are paralyzed. Ooh. For one minute. What? Okie dokie. Oh, man. You get to make the save again at the end of your turn. Now, I will tell you this. The fact that Roos and Pine got to move before he did his turn is a very good thing because he could have hit all four of you with that blast. 
So, Although, had I been there, everybody would have had a plus four to that roll. And it would not have been enough for Ebby. Oh, really? Brutal. Yes. That is the failed experiment's turn. Immediately following the failed experiment, you have these crystal clusters. One of them flies up to Roos. One of them flies over to Ebby. One of them flies up to Nari. And one of them flies over to Pine. They are all going to make attacks at you. So first off, we have the one that comes in, almost like it gets up next to you, Roos. It kind of like starts to shake and and kind of spark and all of a sudden, boom, just like a big old flash. Um, and it hits you uh, and it hit, It only gets a 10. That misses, I'm pretty a sure. 10 to hit, yeah, that misses. Okay, same thing happens to you, Pine. That is a 17. That also misses. Okay, Nari, a nine. Misses. And Ebby, you are paralyzed with advantage. We have a 23. Ooh, yeah, that'll that'll hit. Okay. Oh, jeez, he's paralyzed. That's a crit. Yeah, it's a crit. That is 16 damage. What does uh, being paralyzed do to your constitution saving throws? Let's see. I fail automatically strength and dexterity saving throws. Okay. And attack rolls have advantage and critical hit if, if you're within five feet. Well, then go ahead and make a constitution save. Difficulty 10. Okay. I uh, got a nat 20 for a 24. <sighs> you are immune to this effect. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. So all you take is 16 damage. That's it. That's fine. That's, yeah, all. that's, yeah. all. that's all. That's all. You take. Just, <laughs> I was just less than damage. half hit points from the last <laughs> one, so we're we're looking a little rough, guys. <laughs> well, it is now your ally, Sydney's turn. She is way back down the hall, probably about 20 feet from the cl- cluster that attacked Ebby, and she sees that he is in trouble, so she is going to take two shots at this crystal cluster, and she gets a 16 and a 6. And the 16 will hit. And let me see how much damage she is going to do. 10 damage to this crystal cluster that has attacked Eddie. For some reason, every time I hear the word cluster, I think of like a breakfast cereal. And now I'm thinking like a crystal cluster would just totally chew up the roof of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, like Captain Crunch? (laughs) Yeah. Probably best not to eat these. <laughs> Honey clusters of oats. <laughs> um, Nari, it is your turn. Okay, um, Nari is going to put her hand on Ebby's shoulder and say, I'm doing my best, my friend. And then she is going to give him, oh my gosh, only four healing points um, for her bonus action. And then she is actually going to run to this failed experiments back and she is going to try to strike at its the crystals on its back. Okay, now here's the deal. You left the threat range of now two of these crystal clusters. I know, I know, That is two attacks. That's an 11 and a 7. They both miss you. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so it was a 14 hit. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna roll again. So is this your second attack? Yeah, uh, 19 to hit. That, That will hit. And that did 11 damage. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to action surge on this, and I'm going to still, again, go specifically for those uh, crystals that are on his back. Okay. Um, and that one. That will miss. Ooh. I, I would think so. You know, in like 3.5 edition, I'd say, oh, you hit Pine, who's right next to you. Because <laughs> I was a jerk. <laughs> All right, 17 to hit. 
that barely hits. You find okay. a little notch between some of this extra plating and you manage to get into some of the guts. All right, good vibes. Uh, 16 damage. Oh, wow, okay. All right. And then could I use like a disarming attack to try to like get those crystals off of him? You know what, okay, so let's see. You've been attacking the crystals every time. You've done a total of 27 damage to the crystal, correct? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do the disarming attack, add the extra whatever D8 it is. So that would be an extra four damage, and then they have to make a saving throw of 16. Let's see, it's a strength saving throw? Okay. The strength saving throw that this guy has is just a plus five. Let's see. Oh, he rolled a natural 16. That's a 21. Oh, God. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, that's my turn. Well, you did deal some extra damage. And, and, you know, as you were focusing on the crystal, you could see when you were hitting it, it was flaring. And you could see out of the corner of your eye, those crystal uh, clusters that are flying around, you could see them kind of flaring as well with every hit. All right. Well, sorry, Abby. I failed you. <laughs> oh, no worries. Abby, it is your turn. I want you to make a constitution save. Okay. Let's, let's try that. Roll that nat 20 again. Uh, 15. 15. Oh, fail. That is a fail. Yeah, I figured as much. So the only thing I think I can do, because I can't move and I can't speak, but I have my verdant light ability, which I don't, it's not a spell, so it doesn't have verbal or somatic, and it's just as a bonus action, I can heal somebody within 60 feet. Okay. So I might, if that's okay with you, I might use that to try to heal myself for a 1d6. Yeah, now I got a question about you, for you about the Verdant Light. Is Can you only do 1d6 at a time or can you burn them all at the same time? Only 1d6, okay. a max of 1d6. I think, I think it might scale with the modifier. Okay. Which in this case is using Charisma and I've only got a plus one on my Charisma right now. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, give yourself some hit points. All right. Five hit points. Hey, that's pretty Slowly good. Slowly but surely. I'm like just a crumpled mess over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the first round and back to the top of the initiative with Pine. Pine, you have a crystal uh, floating kind of uh, cloud to the south of you. You are facing off against this 10 foot tall uh, failed experiment. Nari is there assisting you. You can see Roos on the other side of him. You guys are trying to bring this guy down. Um, you guys have done a total of 69 damage to him so far. <laughs> nice. Okay, so seeing the crystals flare and seeing the other entities, the crystal clouds flare, I feel like they're connected to the crystals on his back. So if we bring him down, we can bring down the crystal clouds. But I also want to get over there and help Evie, so I am torn. Ugh. I mean, I gave him a solid four hit point, so I don't know why he would need more help. <laughs> and he gave himself five, too, so I mean, he's doing pretty good. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's, Dude, he's I'm doing fun. great right yeah. now. He's thriving. I'm just taking a nap. It's cool. Just yeah. remember, just remember, I, as the DM, do not want to know how many hit points anybody has. Don't tell me. I don't know if we talked about that a year ago. Uh, that rule still applies. Okay, well, Pine is going to leave the threat range, drawing two attacks. One from the crystal. That is going to be a 17. That misses. And, oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm no longer immune to critical hits. <laughs> you did this on purpose, Paul. Oh, I, you saw that roll. 
natural 20 from the failed experiment. Um, oh, this is going to be bad. I had to get new armor. Oh my gosh. That's already 38 damage. Already 38 damage? What do you mean? So that was a 19 for the 3d8 damage. So multiply that by two. That's a stellar damage roll right there. That's 38. Are you kidding? It's a crit, dude. Are you down? That's That would be my total hit points on that crit. It's a 76, right? Uh, no, 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 no. It's 38. After being double. Oh, jeez. Thank you. Okay. I'm still up. <laughs> I'm still up. Oh, yeah. No, don't worry, though. We have more damage coming. <laughs> okay. That's just the 3d8. There's also 3d10 necrotic. Whoa. That's another 32 damage. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. That is um, 70 damage. Technically, it is 75 damage. Well, my total is 76. So that would have taken me down to one hit point if I was full. But I wasn't because we fought already. Pine drops. Oof. Yikes. Bruce, you see Mr. Pine go down as this failed experiment reaches over and clobbers him. Well, that is not ideal. Go for the crystals. <laughs> Bruce is going to reach into his pocket and he's going to grab Gigi and he's going to say, Gigi, bring one of our potions out to, to Mr. Pine. And um, I'm going to do Gigi's potion delivery service. So Mr. Pine gets seven points of healing. Your eyes flutter open. Doing fine. Doing fine. Stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to strike out at the crystals on um, the failed experiment with my dagger. Okay. For an 18 to hit. That will hit. Okay. So six radiant, 10 precision uh, for 16 damage. Does he count as undead because he's doing necrotic damage? He's kind of a Frankenstein. Technically, yes. <laughs> oh, really? Because then it would do an additional four, so it would have been 20 damage. Oh. Because it does extra damage against undead. So this is an Ormex. This is like an undead um, Warforged. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's technically a construct or a or an undead. So Okay. So um, six radiant, four extra for um, him being undead, and then 10 precision for 20 damage. Okay. Yay, something to our favor. Okay. That is a total of 91. Let me see here. Oh, so close to being bloodied. <laughs> and that's that's my turn. <laughs> All right. It is now the failed experiment's turn. The failed experiment can't do its paralyzing uh, spray thing again. And it's already summoned its crystal shards. So now it's clobbering time. All right, we have two attacks coming. One is coming at Roos and one is coming at Nari. Roos, you got hit for 26. Nari was a 12. That hits. Okay, here we go, Roos. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is 42 damage. Okay, I'm gonna have Mr. Squire half that. Okay. So 21 damage. <laughs> wow, clutch, man. Oh my gosh, that could have been so bad. Oh, this is so bad, shut up. <laughs> it's still it's still bad. That, like, even halving that, that's almost half of my health. Squire MVP over there. Oh yeah, he's the only reason I, I uh, am useful at all. <laughs> could you please not forget Gigi? Oh, Gigi's MVP too. She just brought oh, Mr. Yeah. Pine I mean, back. 
Yeah, I just I don't want you to think that Spark is the only reason you're useful. You also have Gigi. <laughs> yeah, Gigi, Gigi's equally as useful as Squire. Well, um, Roos, um, you survived that hit, and now these crystal clusters are going to flare again. Roos, one of them flares up next to you uh, for 14. I need to make a concentration check real quick. Is that just a con save? Uh, that is a, a constitution save. And how much damage did you end up taking total? 21. I got a 20 constitution save. So my um, my insignia is still up. Yeah, you can see that light of the Bayard crest like flaring and flashing in, in uh, not in sync, but in contrast to the flaring of these crystal clusters, these crystal clouds. Now, Nari, flaring up at you. Uh, that's going to be a 22. That will do it. Uh, that is going to be then a total of 13 damage. I need a constitution save difficulty 10. All right, I rolled an 18. You are fine. All right. But you did take 18 damage. Heck. No, oh, sorry, 13 damage, 13 damage. All right, Mr. Pine, this has advantage against you because you are prone, but it will not be an auto crit because you are not paralyzed. 20? That will hit. I'm oh, down okay. again. No way I'm surviving this. Five. Oh, seriously? <laughs> one, three, and one. Wow. Are you still up? Oh. I am up with two hit points. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is clutch. Pine's all like, I didn't hear no bell. Whatever. <laughs> I need to make a con save, right? Yeah, con save, difficulty 10. That's uh, a 24. You're good. All right, and Ebby. Oh, that's not bad. That's an 11 is the high. Oh, uh, yeah, that wouldn't hit. Um, that brings us now to Sydney. She sees what's going on. She's getting a little bit worried. She's going to blast away again at the crystal cluster that is attacking Ebby, seeing that he is incapacitated. So we got two shots coming at the crystal cluster, and it looks like an 11 is one of them. The other one is a natural one. So she will hit one time, believe it or not, with an 11. Oh, wow. No, never mind. AC 12. Oh, never mind. So I do get to berate her for being useless. That's good. <laughs> hey, oh, she's good. Dealt... that's a really good thing to be thinking about right now, Ebby. <laughs> Ebby, she has dealt more damage to these guys than you have. That's all I got. Get your head out of your metal butt. <laughs> all right. I can't. I'm paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> Nari, it's your turn. All right. Um, Nari is going to just go in swinging again. Uh, 27 to hit. Oh, yeah. 11 damage, and then she is going to swing again with a 25 to hit for, and this is again at the crystals, like specifically for 14 damage. Looks like you guys have now dealt uh, 116 damage. Nari, as you swing out and you strike that crystal with your first hit, you feel as it hits this crystal, you feel something give. When you hit it, it crumples in almost like a soda can where it you thought it was solid, but when you hit it, it actually crumples in and starts to break inwards. And with your second blow, that crystal shatters. And as that happens, the crystal clusters that have been bothering you with their necrotic flare, they all tumble down back to the ground as purple crystal dust. Bizarre. Is it the Nature Boy necrotic flare? Woo! Necrotric flare? Necrotric flare. That is so bad. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Okay, Nari, that is your turn. Is there anything you want to do as a bonus action? You managed to bring these crystal clusters down. 
Um, no, I think that's it. I think that's all I can do right now. <laughs> okay. All right. That brings us now to Ebby. Ebby, I'm going to need a constitution save from you. Yeah. Difficulty 18. I rolled a nine. <laughs> well, Ebby's <laughs> just chilling like a villain down oh. here. Jeez. <sighs> um, <laughs> Ebby just like, don't worry, Ebby, uh, we've got this. <laughs> I'm just taking a nap over here. Like, that's good, guys. We're good. Oh, Ebby, you find yourself still laying on the floor, unable to move. And back up to the top. I imagine you're saying, like, oil, like the Tin Man. Oil. 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 I don't even remember the movie it's The Wizard oil of Oz. Can. Oil can. Okay, see, that movie always, like, freaked me out. Not to, Okay, Return to Oz definitely that, freaked me oh, out. Oh, yeah, dude. But even the original Wizard of Oz freaked me out. I don't know why. Anyway. You know, the little girl from Return to Oz yes. was also Bobby Boucher's girlfriend from The Waterboy. Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah, she was um, She was uh, uh, Vicky Valancourt. I had no idea that was the same person. Oh, yeah. Did, does anybody else notice that every um, female lead in an Adam Sandler movie has the initials VV? Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that. Oh, my gosh. That. I had never Veronica noticed Vaughn, that. Vicky Valancourt. Where, what were we even saying? I, don't, I was about to say, Pine, it is your turn. You are lying on the ground. You've just been knocked down and then hit again and almost knocked unconscious again, but you managed to fight through it. And with two hit points, which you weren't supposed to tell me, uh, oh, it is sorry. your turn. <laughs> Well, Pine is going to stand up now, so he won't. He will no longer have advantage on attacks against me if he decided to go for me. Um, I'm going to actually spread out a little bit right now. Pine and Nari are a little too close. Uh, I, I'm afraid of some kind of AOE from, coming from him, so I'm going to move around and basically be on the south side of him. So now we have him surrounded. Uh, Roos is on the north, Nari is on the east, and Pine is on the south. And I'm going to, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm just. We'll do it live. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm going to um, take a couple attacks with my sword. Perfect. Uh, the first is a 16. No, no. The first is a 26 to hit. Does that hit? That will hit. <laughs> okay. So that's nine piercing, five cold, and I will say unleash with precision, Swordmaster's fury, and I'll do a level two. And since you have just told me that technically he is undead. I get to roll extra dice. Oh gosh, why did I open my mouth? I mean, he's a construct. Yeah! It'll be 4d8 damage. So, um, nine piercing, five cold, and an additional 24 damage. Oh my gosh, that's huge. And I'm not done. Yeah, you can see like bits and pieces of like, all this extra metal that's been attached to him starting to fall and, and flake off. Okay, I'm gonna take another attack. That was my last level two spell slot, by the way. I'm going to do, uh, let's see, that's a 19 to hit. That'll hit. Uh, that is eight piercing, two cold. And uh, let's go ahead and throw on, you know what? I have two level three slots. I'll use one of them. Uh, Unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury. That's 5d8 now. So it's an additional 31 damage. Whoa, holy damage, oh. Pine. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Pine, you get up off the ground after being knocked unconscious, and then coming to something flared up, you had to go see your doctor. <laughs> Proctologist. <laughs> you uh, you manage to get up, you deal a massive blow to this thing, and as it rears back, what happens, Pine, as Wait, you what? strike it with your second blow? 
<gasps> Pine says, this is for Ebby. He didn't even get to do anything cool this whole fight. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> because again, now because the second attack, um, let's see, I'm going to add up the number of dice that I rolled. One, two, uh, 13 strikes, uh, oh lightning fast um, during this round. Uh, with my sword, and I'll say that um, knowing the anatomy of a bishop, Pine will know where to strike that wouldn't be reinforced with additional steel plating, um, and basically all these attacks are right in the exact same place, and they just cut in a little bit deeper each time until finally the last one is able to just pierce completely through, and he ends with a thrust through the torso of this failed experiment. That seems so anime. Um, make a perception check as you are attacking this construct. That's a seven. All right. Very good. I win. <laughs> you rolled a seven and got a seven and win. Okay. As you strike this thing 13 times, each cut getting deeper and deeper and deeper, suddenly you see the light, the red light in this thing's eyes dim and it starts to shudder and shake and suddenly one of the arms poof, like a hydraulic like pops and then the arm falls off and then um, the other arm falls off, a leg falls off, it falls down to the ground, the head pops off and rolls across the room and you have this, this defeated failed experiment in front of you and we are going to cue victory music. Ooh, jeez, I... That was brutal. Uh, you guys are lucky because when I rolled this thing's initiative and it was a 15, um, I thought, oh, there's a very good chance that only one person will get to move before this guy. And we're going to we're going to have three paralyzed players. So as it <laughs> is, was, we only paralyzed Ebby. <laughs> that was nuts. Pine is going to rush over uh, to help Ebby. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, Sydney is there as well. So they're helping you. Um, Ebby, you can... You can wait the minute, or you can keep rolling if you want to, just to pop up earlier. And you can uh, do it with advantage now. Come on. And with a plus 13. four. 13. And uh, 20. Hey, there oh, we go. Oh, there you go. So after a few seconds, you manage to shake it off. As you're laying there, all of a sudden, your body just naturally like expresses that spray that got on you. And it comes out of all your all of your joints, like a little puff of, of like smoke. Do I and fart out the bed from <laughs> you the paralytic? You totally <laughs> Hey, um, uh, Ebby gets 10 hit points back from my commander's morale. Oh, hallelujah. I think you might need more of that than me, though, Pine. Oh, don't worry. I'm already touching myself and giving me some, too. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, uh, you might want to go in the corner or at least, like, step away while you're doing that. Wait, you don't You don't like this? You know, Roost, if there's one thing we can count on, it's that Pine will touch himself when he needs to. <laughs> this is true. Oh, you like it. Bruce is going to reach into his pack and uncork a healing potion and drink it. Okay. <laughs> nice. I thought you'd reach into his... Never mind. <laughs> no. Um, For nine health. It might nice. behoove us to do at least a short rest here for a little while. I agree. I can definitely <sighs> go for a rest. Sydney's like, I'm doing fine. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney is actually, she comes over as you guys are kind of talking and discussing and, and like patching each other up and everything. And she starts checking out this uh, this failed experiment, kind of uh, sifting through, looking at the different parts and things. Yeah, so as we're starting our, our short rest, Pine will say over to Sydney, 
I noticed that Nari caved in one of those crystals. Is that what happens when you, you know, suck all of the energy out of a crystal? It becomes hollow like that. She says it like it was hollow inside. That's what it, it looked like. It it crumbled like a soda can, like a surge <laughs> can. <laughs> I, I have never seen that. Uh, crystals are are solid. Usually, I mean, maybe some slight imperfections, some slight slight inclusions. But for the most part, they're solid. So um, you say it crumpled like a, like a can. Oh, that's, that's interesting. I've never seen that. Nari, did you, is that what happened? I mean, I may have been unconscious at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hit it, I hit it s- several times. Um, but, but the last time I hit it, it, it seemed to have less substance to it. Huh, that's odd. Almost like it was, I don't know. That's, that's strange. Well... <sighs> I don't want to be morbid here, but maybe we separate the uh, parts that fell apart so it doesn't, like, reassemble itself while we're resting. Well, I would be interested to see if they actually inserted a crystalline matrix in here of some sort. If there is a soul, perhaps, trapped inside of this thing. Are you saying that we should dissect it? Well, I mean, yes. It's just a metal husk at this point. Um, it's the soul that's probably the most important part, and that's going to be found within. Hey, Ebby, why don't you make an investigation check? Ebby rolled a 10 on investigation, so not great. Hey, why don't you roll it with advantage, because Sydney's helping you. Uh, I mean, oh. she's kind of sifting through as well. Cool. <laughs> I rolled a 5. So 10 it is. <laughs> as you're sifting through, you can't find a, a crystalline matrix. And you even kind of explain to Sydney what it is you're looking for, and uh, she's like, crystalline matrix oh I, we didn't know what that was for it didn't seem to do anything and she starts looking through with you and she can't find one either i for whatever it's worth the crystalline matrix i have a theory um i wonder you know many of the ormex that we awaken oftentimes they have no power in them at all and yet their soul still resides within the crystalline matrix it makes me wonder if it's possible to salvage them and be able to at least transfer the soul into another construct. Um, it's it's extreme. I have no idea if that would work at all. But it's just an idea that I've been thinking about. She's nodding as you're as you're speaking. She says, "Yes, that would explain why we couldn't detect any. I mean, what is the substance of a soul? How do you measure that? We just thought it was a redundancy of some sort that." wasn't used. I, we didn't know what it was. That that very well could work. I could see that working. Pine uh, looks at the bottom of his shoe and I'll say, well, I can measure my soul. <laughs> 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 and Sydney looks at you and she goes, is he having a stroke? Should we be worried about him? Yeah, we have no idea what a surge can is, but we just let him talk. <laughs> To be honest, Dr. Sidney, he might be having a stroke. It's a legitimate possibility. We have no idea. He did get hit pretty hard. He is of that age, if you know what I mean. I definitely have a concussion. I mean, that's a given. Roos is going to, while they're um, investigating the Ormec, Roos is going to look for anything of value um, or of note on the corpses of the scavengers. You do find quite a few like uh, random pieces of crystal tech. A lot of them have been pretty, I mean, it looks like, not to be too morbid, but this um, failed experiment, when it killed these things, it 
didn't stop after they died. And a lot of the stuff on them is like crushed to smithereens. So you see like weapons and things like swords and, and like hammers and things that are busted. Um, and so you do find some like tech on them, but it's crushed to the point where the only thing salvageable would be crystal. And um, there's still quite a bit of it. It looks like you find about 112 gold worth of small pieces of crystal uh, from these uh, different bodies. Okay. There you go, Roos. That'll pay you back. For the uh, the gambling <laughs> the other day. No, I, I think we're fine. We can split this. And I love Ru- how um, Roos is literally doing all the work and Pine's like, there you go. You can have it all. <laughs> I have a concussion. <laughs> Roos will divide that up between us. Okay. That, that actually does divide evenly. <gasps> wow. It's 28 apiece. Yeah. All right. Woot. And Sydney doesn't get any. Okay, well, you guys can go ahead and burn hit dice. You guys can keep talking if you want to. That's fine, whatever. But go ahead and burn whatever hit dice you want to get some hit points back. And then don't don't forget that the short rest skills that you uh, that you have that refresh after a short rest. Yeah, after we do the short rest, um, well, Ebby wants to ask the group. I know that we've been resting already for a little while. Um, it would take another hour, but would you all be okay with waiting another hour so I could resummon Amarok? I mean, I can only see how he could be helpful at this point. I think that makes sense. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Most definitely, yes. Okay, I appreciate it. I know we've been down in this place for too long as it is, but I feel like I could use the help. Uh, so I'll take the hour to kind of reconnect and meditate and resummon Amarok. Fantastic. I used all my hit dice and only got back 34 hit points. Oh my god. 9d10. I got 34. Oh Oof. my gosh. It's okay. I got your back, fam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I don't get paralyzed instantly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'd give you some of my um resting hit dice, but I can't share them. Sorry. No, it's you know what it, it's it's completely fine. I'll be okay. I um well. Take a minute to rest. I'll poke my head around this room and see what I can't figure out while you guys are sitting down. Ebby, as you are uh, summoning Amarok, and then Amarok appears, what does that look like? Like, wh- what does Amarok say? Like, what's the feeling as Amarok appears? What's going on with Ebby as that happens? So Ebby kind of sits on the floor, kind of cross-legged, and is kind of... He can't close his eyes or anything, so it looks like he's just staring off into space, but it's kind of like a meditative trance that he has to enter into. And as time progresses, there's kind of this greenish energy and glow that starts to um, kind of emanate from, like, Ebby's chest, and it kind of goes down into the ground and kind of forms this greenish circle of kind of ethereal light Um, as the spell progresses that greenish light kind of shifts from beneath Ebby to a spot in front of him just like three or four feet in front of him and as it begins to finally reach its culmination or its climax that green light begins to kind of uh, materialize or kind of seep up through the ground into a single point and um, that that light forms the body and then in an instant it's you know Amarok is there in full flesh you know with with his body and everything and uh he's right there and what does Amarok say like what's Amarok's mood as he as he appears 
you know, his voice is a little bit rough, you know, when when he is actually spoken. Um, and he holds himself in high honor, but he shows quite a bit of affection to Ebby. So the moment he uh, appears in his form, he kind of stretches, you know, extends wings and shakes himself down and then moves forward and climbs up, kind of clambers up onto Ebby's shoulder. And um, with the summoning that kind of uh, the telepathic link has been recreated. And so um, the exchange between them is kind of just between them. Um, but basically it comes down to like Amarok saying like, I was worried about you, you know, when the, when the connection was severed, I was worried that you would lose control. What's Nari doing? I think Nari is kind of following behind Sydney and like, it's not so much that she doesn't trust her, but she's a little bit curious about what she's doing specifically and also wants to make sure that she's not doing anything that they don't notice. Why don't you make an insight check as you watch Sydney kind of, um, she, she spends pretty much this whole hour or hour and a half, whatever it ends up taking, filtering through this failed experiment. All right, now you got a 17 for insight. As you watch her kind of from a distance, you see that she starts, it looks like she's organizing. And as um, she's got like three or four different piles. And as you watch, you realize that she is taking the different pieces of the different bodies that made this construct. And she's separating them out as best she can into their um, individual components. Nari will kind of come up to her and say, do you, do you think we can salvage these uh, these Ormex? Uh, as you come and talk to her, she kind of looks surprised and she looks up at you. Oh, oh no. No, I think that they're I think they're long gone, but I feel she looks around for Ebby. Is at this point Ebby I think is still summoning Amarok. And uh so she sees that he's busy and she says, No, I just I just feel that this abomination, this um this creature was well it wasn't that far off from what we were doing. And knowing what I know now, I can't stand to see how close I came to this. Class act. Nari will kind of put her hand on uh, Sydney's shoulder and say, in a whisper, like, again, kind of making sure Abby can't hear and say, there, there was no way you could have known. Ignorance can make a monster out of anyone. Even me. And she starts sorting out through the pieces again. Roos, you are exploring this room. You can see that these wagons that are in here, um, they are a little bit worse for wear. Looks like they've been sitting for a long time, um, you know, years at this point. Nothing is in them um, specifically. You see there's a couple like tools lying around, like, you know, some calipers and some uh, some pliers, that kind of thing. But you do see at the bottom, like at the south edge of this room, there are these two large, uh, for lack of a better word, elevators. They have these large doors that open up and there are these levers that actually activate them. You look up at the roof of these lifts and you can see that these spools that um, have this cable on them, the spools are huge. The cable is relatively thin and it is just coiled and coiled. There is hundreds and hundreds of feet of cable on these 
um, on these spools that lower this lift, these lifts down. Um, these lifts go deep, deep into the earth. And remember, just so everyone remembers, this part you're in right now is the facility that was built by the empire over the top of the ancient facility that was, you know, Ebby's people's facility. Um, so this, this facility is a couple decades old. The facility beneath here is thousands of years old. Do I get the idea that the cable and everything is like in sturdy, good condition? Like it could support all of our weight? Make an investigation check. Ooh, I only rolled a 12, but I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have, uh, Squire help me out a little bit. So I got a 16. It, yeah, it looks like everything's in good repair. It looks like everything's in, you know, relatively good repair. This, these lifts were um, built sturdy. It looks like they were designed to carry like heavy, heavy loads up. And you can imagine, you know, um, having been around Ebby, Ormex are not light. I think Ebby weighs like what, 300 pounds, something like that? Uh, yeah, I think it's like 320 actually. Let me yeah. let me look at my description. Yeah, yeah well, 320 pounds. It looks like these lifts were designed to bring up multiple um, Ormex at the same time. So heavy duty cables look like they're in good shape. So you see no reason why going down would be a problem. Okay. Then I'll, after inspecting that, I'll just kind of sit and wait by the lift until everybody has rested and I'll just feed Gigi some little snacks. Okay. Is there anything else anybody wants to do before the short rest and the summoning of Amarok is complete? Well, hey everyone. As I was taking my rest, I, uh, you know, how I've been writing limericks this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm working on another one. No, no. Oh God, not again! <laughs> it's a—it's totally a thing I've been doing this whole time. It's true. It's true. I have <laughs> notebooks full of limericks. Some of them are—some <laughs> of them are a little blue. Some of them are a little dirty. I mean, what happened to looking for skipping rocks? Well, I do that too, but I was sitting and I was resting. Anyway, okay. Here, here's here's what I, here's what I've got so far. I almost got killed one more time by a being whose creation was a crime. Bruce's pocket lizard saved me, then my sword arm went crazy. I need one more line that will rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I think, don't you snap your fingers when you're at, like, a beat poetry thing? (laughs) I don't know if they do limericks at beat poetry, but sure. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. I've also been working on a non-dirty version of the man from Nantucket. (laughs) (laughs) He carried a very gross bucket. I don't know. He walked around town with a bucket. Oh, there you go. All right. Very good. Okay. Um, Everybody is as rested as you're going to be without actually camping down for the night. It looks like there are now uh, three or four separate piles of Ormac parts. Sydney looks content. Um, and, um, you have these two lifts in front of you. Paul, remind me, we had said that exhaustion earned from going unconscious can get, um, healed on a short rest, correct? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. All right. Other forms of exhaustion, not so much, but like, for example, like Ebby's exhaustion, if he were to free an Ormec and then get exhaustion, that needs a long rest to go away. Hey, that's fine, because, Paul, basically, you are God to us in this game, so <laughs> you get to kind of set those rules, man. Hey, there's not enough worshipping. Do I need to smite you more? <laughs> no, I, dude, I'm counting rosary as we speak. Okay. If you could make me feel more guilty about just existing. He's like, ask and ye shall receive. All right. Okay, well, very good. You guys are here in this room, and you have these lifts. That is, looks like that's the only way to go. 
Ebby is super resolved. So after Amrock is summoned and they have kind of a brief moment, he stands right up and walks right over to the lift and says, well, shall we be on our way? Most definitely. Let's go. Let's go down. Did I figure out how to operate it while I was tinkering or like looking at it? There's a lever that you pull. Okay. <laughs> it seems cool. pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, so wait, did he figure out how to operate it? <laughs> Why don't you make an engineering check? <laughs> You all load up into one of these lifts. As you pull the door closed, Roos pulls the lever, but it's a lever that goes forward and back, and he pushes it to the side, and he can't figure it out. So then Sydney has to come over and pull it. So, sorry, sorry, Roos. You couldn't figure it out. You're, like, trying to wobble it back side to side, and she just pulls it towards you. It's coming loose. You're you're doing it, Roos. It's coming loose. (laughs) Roos almost has it, like, pulled out of the wall. And this man almost ruled a kingdom, Nari will whisper to Sydney. <laughs> Gigi handles all the mechanical stuff. I should have just left it to her, but I was trying my hand at it. Um, you see over in the corner, um, Squire is looking at you and just shaking his head, like so disappointed in you. <laughs> Nari, to be fair, we don't need a king that can fix a toilet. I mean, speak for yourself, my friend. <laughs> they do call it the throne, you're right. <laughs> All right. The lift lowers, and um, it is. You guys were in a lift five years ago um, in an ancient facility up underneath uh, Summerhome, up in the uh, the Glass Mountains. I love that our entire experience with elevators is five years ago you were on one, and now you're on one again. Yes, exactly. This is fun. I do not like this. (laughs) Yeah, the last time this happened, the world shattered. (laughs) <laughs> well, this one is not quite as long. As you recall, last time you were in one, it was like an hour. And it was like, it was way more um, mechanical. This is basically just a box on a rope. Um, that one was like kind of climbing down this shaft. And it was like busting through crystal like clusters and things. This does not have that same problem. This goes down very smoothly. And after about a minute and a half, it touches down at the bottom and the doors open. And as you step out, you are in a um, sort of a small room. You can tell a difference. It is, it's not as cold as you would expect it to be down here. It's actually starting to get a little bit warmer down here. I know this feeling. And you can see the stones on the floor are ancient. They are, um, they're still in good repair, but they are, you can just tell there's this smell, this feeling of age. I need everyone to make perception checks. Ooh. Pine rolled a six. Bruce got a 23. Ebby got a 21. And, oh my gosh, Nari got a 17. Okay. With the Pine can't tell. He's probably like sitting in the back going, I once rode a lift into darkness. I don't know. So I'm trying to come up with another limerick um, about riding an elevator. Um, but the rest of you, as you um, step out of this elevator, you come out into this room uh, where the both elevators actually come down to the same room. And then there is a hallway that heads to the south. And you can hear coming from that hallway, the sound of, I mean, at this point, you guys have been around it enough. You hear the sound of machinery. And um, you can hear that it's coming like um, grinding and um, humming, that sort of thing. You can hear it coming up uh, uh, from the, the hallway to the south. Yeah, Ebby, Ebby steps out of the elevator and just kind of, he 
he is not as cautious as he was up above in the Imperial facility. Ebby, you take two steps out, and I imagine you start walking down the hall, and as soon as you do, you hear a voice in the back of your head, and it says, to be back after so long. And you recognize Niem's voice. Ebby, maybe we should uh, be a little bit more stealthy, my friend. We don't know if these are friends or foes at this moment. I mean, you might be right. I get the sense that we're okay down here, but... Whatever created that abomination up above might have found this place pretty easily. Oh, of that I think you are probably correct, actually. Um, We can proceed with caution. I suppose that is, uh, that's probably wise. As you start to head down this hallway that heads to the south, you can see about, um, I don't know, 20 feet down the hall, there is a branch that heads to the um, to the east. And you also see that straight ahead, the hall continues down to a, what looks like what was once a doorway, but has since been busted open. You can only imagine it was probably the scavengers that have knocked these doors um, out of their track. These are those same kind of doors that you guys saw way back in that ancient facility underneath Lord Moshe's shrine in like episode, what, five, four, five? Yeah, four or five. They have been busted out of their track. You can see on the other side, it looks like what was once an elegant, richly appointed office. The floor is tiled. You can see there is just barely the remains of a wooden desk and chair. You can also see on the floor, it looks like tiling. And in the tile, kind of in the center of the room, there are colors. Red, orange, yellow, green, light blue, dark blue, purple, and white in a square around a central point where the desk sits. I've seen that pattern before. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen that pattern. Abby, you hear a voice when you say that, and it says, A long time indeed. I haven't been down here for a long time. Abby's going to walk down to that room and just kind of investigate around and look over the objects in there. Okay. As you guys are going down, Roos will stay at that corner intersection and just keep an eye down the other hall to make sure that nothing comes at um, the party from that direction. Nari's going to keep an eye on Abby just to make sure he doesn't... Uh do anything too emotional. What are you saying, Sabrina? As men do. How dare you? I can't believe you would imply such a thing. <laughs> well, Ebby, as you're standing here in this old office, uh, you hear Neam's voice again. And you're kind of looking around, looking through some things. It looks like, I mean, it looks like what wasn't broken or taken by the Empire was has since been shattered uh, and destroyed by the scavengers who have been down here. Um, you can see on one wall what looks like the very faded, very desiccated and and uh, just kind of crumbling ruins of a painting. And as you glance at that, you hear a voice that says, I remember that. I remember when that was painted. Is this you, Neum? He replies and he says, do you remember this? I, I don't seem to recall Ebby, there is something very familiar about this. And yet there is something familiar about all of this. As you look at the layout here, 
you hear um, the voice in your head, the voice of Neum. He says, this is where we attempted to survive the crystal engine. We knew that the upheaval would devastate the world and we needed a way to guide the survivors. So we developed the Ormec program. We called it the sanctuary or, or the ark. Funny, I, I broke the world to save it. It seems we have a lot in common, Abby. Indeed, I think we do. Who's he talking to? (laughs) Ebby is kind of, he seems like he's in actually almost cheerful spirits. Um, He turns from this room and he's like, well, should we be heading deeper in? Let's go this way. He's probably talking to that Nolan guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, Nolan. Uh, I love his films (laughs) Um, Ebby as you turn your back on the desk I know you are like you're happy you're like there's a a familiar feeling here as you turn your back on that room and on that desk you feel a little sense of loss turning your back on that room as you walk back up to this hallway that heads back in over to the east, you can see it leads into this large open room. And you can see as you walk in, the the ceiling is high and domed. You can see lining the walls, these massive cogs, and they are still spinning. You see cogs on the walls to the north, cogs on the walls to the to the east. You see small little rooms with these strange contraptions with cogs and wheels and almost steampunk but also crystal tech type of things and they're still spinning. They're still whirring. There is still an energy humming in this place. You can see straight across from you there is a doorway leading into a dark place. You can't see what is beyond there, but Ebby instinctively, you know that beyond that door is the sanctuary or the Ark had different names, but that is where these mechanical Ormec bodies were stored once souls were put into them. You just know. And as you're looking around this room, looking at that doorway across the way, you look to the north and you see this sort of a, an altar with gears and wheels and levers and that kind of thing. You see at the north, there is some kind of control center. And Ebby, as you look at this control center, you remember it. You remember when it was built. Ebby uh, walks into the room and he kind of marvels that everything is still working as he remembers it, you know, those, was it thousands of years when it was initially built? Yeah. And he kind of looks around in awe and he's like, amazing. It's still functioning. They're still there. Amarok kind of flies up to him and he's like, Arunshea. And Abby's like, I know, I know. Um, I think, I think that this could work. I think that this could work. And uh, Ebby starts like, <laughs> he starts disrobing. Like <laughs> he's, he starts taking off like his, his backpack and his traveler's cloak and kind of unencumbering himself of stuff and kind of like leaving a little pile on the floor. 
Um, as you're doing that, you hear Neam's voice in your head, and he says, of course it still works. You designed it. We designed it. Yes, we did. I designed it. So Ebby Ebby turns towards Pine and Nari and Roos and says, I am incredibly grateful that you've brought me here, back to to my laboratory, back to this great experiment. Wait, wait, your laboratory? This, this grand scheme, it has, it has basically fulfilled its purpose, but there is still one more task that will need to be performed, and I'm sure you will understand. Uh, if you wouldn't mind standing back, uh, there's something that needs to happen here. Epi, what, what do you mean something? What, what's going on? Yeah, you're making me a little okay, nervous, pal. Okay, you're walking pal. very quickly towards that pedestal, <laughs> and I am feeling very uncomfortable right now. Ebby uh, goes up to the pedestal, he turns around, and he kind of looks at you all, and he's like, the greatest honor of my life has been to fight alongside of you, and now I have to fulfill the purpose for which I was created. Amarok, watch after them if you can. And Ebby turns. I don't like this. Yeah, no. Ebby turns to the apparatus <laughs> and uh, holds on to it. And the tide of energy that all of the life force that Moshe had, you know, swirling in the background when he had selected Ebby to be his avatar, Ebby lets that release. And he lets that flow through his body and into the apparatus and begins to channel this tremendous fountain of life force. Ebby, as you go up and put your hands on this apparatus, on these controls, you instinctively know how to work them because I mean, you, you designed them. You designed all of this as Moshe's power begins to flood through you. You have the distinct impression that you are Moshe's avatar. You are Moshe's one avatar. And as you are standing at these controls, um, Jordan, I sent something to you in an email. Can you open that up? Ooh, yeah, let me let me pull that up here. I'm gonna be honest, I do not love this. No. <sighs> Did you get it? Yeah, yeah, I've got it here. Okay. You are going to read the bolded parts. Okay. Ebby, as you're standing there working these dials, working these levers, and you feel the power flowing through you, um, suddenly your mind is thrown back to what must be a memory. Sitting around a table in a posh restaurant, conversing over a very nice meal, Neam recounts the latest news. The woman's face is creased with concern as she listens. Seems to be getting worse. Gradenly was hit so hard a few days ago that 26 buildings collapsed and hundreds are dead or unaccounted for, not to mention the fissure in Krith Kadar. The woman reaches out to place a taloned hand, a 
atop Neum's. Flash. Neum sits in an opulent study, surrounded by shelves of books. His desk is covered in writings, arcane devices, and a small cluster of clear crystal. Neum looks up from his complex notes to gaze at the crystal on his desk. Crystals to bring the power of nature and the arcane to the common person. Our savior, or our executioner? Flash. A small yet intricate contraption made of brass, copper, and steel rests on a sturdy table in a bustling laboratory. Geomancers move to and fro in the background, working on their own experiments and designs as Neum rests his hand on the small brass lever connected to the contraption. A single clear crystal is held aloft by calipers atop the machine. Neum says a quick prayer. Lord Moshe, give me your power and I will make you the most beautiful garden. And throws the switch. Flash. Neum sits in the dark. The only light in the room pulses off the small yellow crystal cluster in his hand. As he watches, a small sphere of crystal begins to form off of the main cluster. A bandage. A bandage for a bleeding world. Thank Lord Moshe for guiding me to this discovery. A hand clasps Neum on the shoulder in a congratulatory grip, and Neum looks up to see the smiling faces and tear-streaked cheeks of his assistants and colleagues. Flash. Neum sits in front of a large, imposing desk high up in the tower of the Royal Geomancer. The woman sitting behind the desk, bent with age, listens intently as Neum explains what he means to do. Crystals. Crystals were the key. Once we figured out how to imbue them, the rest was easy. She shakes her head. Yes, but the amount of time and energy needed to imbue enough crystals to put a stop to this catastrophe is astronomical. That's the beauty of it. They propagate themselves. At this point, we have created a natural process. What I mean is the process now runs on its own, naturally, but it never would have started had we not imbued those crystals. She interrupts. You're speaking of altering the innate properties of all of Pavantis. Times are dire, it's true, but this seems excessive. This could change the face of Pavantis, it's true. But what's the alternative? Wait for the inevitable? No. No, I'll go down fighting, beak and talon, not huddled up waiting for the end like so many do these days. She responds, The followers of inevitability welcome the cracking, it's true, and I must say that you and your team have made incredible strides with the introduction of crystal tech. Already it's changed our world for the better. But I worry that your solution may have the exact opposite effect of the cracking by overloading Pavantus with reactive, innately powerful crystals. The geological shifts that this will cause are unfathomable when compared to anything besides the cracking. With the crystal engine running, they should proliferate exponentially until the patch can take hold. Then, if the calculations are correct, the crystal propagation will reach equilibrium and Pavantus will be whole, shaken and bloodied, but whole. Sorry, you just said butthole. <laughs> butthole. <laughs> no, you said bloodied butthole. <laughs> bloodied butthole. <laughs> oh, Sounds like me after Taco Bell. hi <laughs> The royal geomancer ponders Neum's words for a few moments, then slowly nods in agreement. Flash. Neum, in the middle of a tense exchange, stands beside a circular table in a newly retrofitted conference hall, complete with crystal lamps hanging overhead that bathe everything in a gentle orange glow. On the table, surrounded by government officials, lies a circular disc made up of eight triangular sectors, each of a different color. I am well aware of the risks. The Duke of Charrington speaks up. All of this upheaval to put a bandage on a mortal wound? A bandage, yes, maybe. But as long as the bandage is left in place, the wounds will stay closed. 
Another speaks up, the Baroness of Highhelm. And this disc, this key, will tear that bandage off, reopening the wound? I understand the need for a failsafe in case your calculations were wrong, but if this cult gets a hold of this disc, it could undo all in a single stroke. And that is why we hide it. A third voice speaks up, this time the young Baron of Galgadar. And what if... what if there's nothing to be done against the cracking? What if your bandage just makes the inevitable... worse? Well... If your only argument is inevitability, then I think my case has already been won. We control our destinies, not some higher concept of the inevitable that so many seem to spout off about of late. The alternative is to do nothing, and I cannot just sit by and do nothing. I can't. The arrayed officials glance around the room at each other, some looking nervous, others reticent, a few excited. At the opposite end of the table from Neum, the king finally speaks up. Very well, Arnium Seladar, our new royal geomancer. You have my blessing and the support of this entire council. I understand you're working on some way to give us the best chance of surviving the upheaval your bandage is sure to cause. I look forward to seeing your research into... He looks down at a piece of paper in front of him. Ormex. Flash. Neum sits at home across the table from his wife as he explains the small box in between them. No, no, not capture. Hold. Protect. House one's consciousness. It will all be by choice. No one will be forced. This crystalline matrix seems dangerous. What if it never turns on? What if someone goes into it and then they're trapped because the power is cut or something? Will you be able to guarantee each individual's safety? Yes, yes. Before it's implemented, I will make sure there are proper safeties in place. It will be so secure, not even the lords and ladies will be able to use it to their ends, nor this angel of inevitability. Neam's wife, Shendra locks eyes with him, nods, and says, Then I'll do it. Flash. Neum fumes as he stares at the hulking mass of burning and broken metal. The Ormec, once standing almost 20 feet tall, now lies on its side, one leg blown off, its insides strewn about the lab, and its crystalline matrix nowhere to be found. Sabotage? How? Two months' worth of work gone. Neum's assistant cowers back from the fury in Neum's voice. I'm sorry, Royal Geomancer. I don't know how they got past our controls. Are we... Are we done for? Neum, talking to himself, says, They're like children messing with things they cannot understand. Then, turning towards his assistant in a calmer voice, responds, We can make it, but only just. Double security. No one gets anywhere close without the proper protocols. One more mishap like this, and we'll be too late. The assistant runs off to implement the changes as Neum stares at the shattered body, grateful that the missing crystalline matrix did not yet house the soul of his dear Shendra. Flash. Neum stands in a large room staring up at the towering Ormek as it shifts side to side. A small figure standing next to Neum reaches up and holds onto his hand. Oh no. There, you see? It worked. She's in there. And there she will stay. The young boy looks up at Neum. And she'll protect it? She'll keep it away from the cult? Of course she will. She's probably more committed to this than you and me put together. She'll keep it safe, trust me, and trust her. But she's not going to get to sleep like the rest of us. Is she strong enough? Well, you know better than I do. But we can both agree that as of today, the die has been cast. We cannot turn back now, for better or for worse. This is it. Neam reaches down to touch the young boy's cheek. This will work. Today we have saved Pavantis. The boy turns towards the towering Ormek that is his mother, and tentatively at first, then breaking into a run, rushes her and hugs one giant shining copper and brass leg. 
Flash, the young son of Arnim and Shendra Seladar, lies on a table under a clear glass canopy, tears flowing freely down his cheeks. There, there. Don't be sad. The others, they can't fly, and they're happy. So I'll be just like a human or elf or something? But all they do is walk. I want to soar. I know. Walking is not flying, and it will be difficult knowing what we've lost. But if we're right, then this is the best way to ensure that we will even be around to walk. Neum puts his hands on the glass and gazes down at his son. Sleep now, my dear one. Wipe your tears and sleep. When you awake, this nightmare will be over. You may not fly again, my son, but you'll run, you'll laugh, and you'll live. The boy's eyes close. Neum begins to weep, overcome with the realization that this is the last time he will ever see his son again. Flash. The room shakes and shudders as Neum stands at a control panel, the same control panel that Ebby stands at now. Pushing buttons and turning knobs with haste, a tall figure stands next to the doorway leading to the vault known as the Ark and the one still unoccupied table and glass canopy. Now! Do it! Get in there so I can start the countdown! The tall figure stands unmoving, then quickly rushes forward and grabs Neum in a tight bear hug. Neum is dragged toward the waiting table. What are you doing? Let me go! This is for you, not me! I have to start the process before the sword and shield are overrun! The figure answers in a deep baritone. I stand a better chance of getting through the mayhem than you. Besides, the world will need your brains if it hopes to rebuild. The survivors will need your guidance. The figure bodily slams Neum down onto the table, knocking the wind from him, then quickly closes the canopy on the staggered Neum. After regaining his voice, Neum shouts, It's not your place to be the sacrifice! It is my responsibility! You've already sacrificed enough. Sleep and wake to the world you saved. I'll get to the engine, I'll flip the switch, and I'll be the sacrifice this world needs to survive. Neum, his body beginning to drift as consciousness leaves him, haltingly says, You bastard! You beautiful, brave bastard! I'll make sure the world knows your name. Ebby stands at the control panel, turning dials, pumping energy from Lord Moshe into this contraption, sucking all of the power that he can from the Lord of green and growing things. And that's where we're going to stop for tonight. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us on this adventure. Uh, it was a fun one. Oh my, fun. Yeah, that's a great word to describe. Yeah, that's literally Jeez. what. It, it was a rough one. I wrote like six limericks for this episode, Paul. And this is how you end it. <laughs> well, don't forget to go join our Discord. You can talk about this episode and previous episodes, share your fan art, that kind of thing. Also, don't forget we have a Patreon. Tell your friends about us. And until we get together next time, we hope you have a great time.